0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. morning. Well, I've been assigned a lesson this morning. It's from the book of Numbers 13 and 14. Speaks about the the spies that are sent into the land. I think what we're going to look at as we go through this lesson is we're going to see how most people look and how a few individuals looked. So we're going to look at Caleb, who's got the eyes of faith. You know what faith does? It actually just believes God. I mean, I can't, I can't really put it any simpler than that. It takes God for what he says. I was talking to some people there a little while ago, and, and they were asking me, well, why, why don't people get saved? I said, you know why? They said, why? Because they don't ask. They simply don't ask God. God says, all that come to me, all in no wise cast out. So the, it's always the onus is on the person, isn't it? You can't blame God. I mean, could he do any more than die for you? I mean, that, that expresses everything. Well, just to get us to this point, I'm going to bring in lots of background here for us because maybe you're hearing you know, all this stuff about the Bible and things about God. You know, maybe you just don't know too much about it. And so we're going to really start here. I'm going to have, have probably give you a 5 minutes background on this. Um, God really starts out, if you could say, his program with a man called Abram. This man called Abram. He calls him out of his country to himself. And you see, that's what God's looking to do. He wants to call you to himself. It's amazing. He wants you to. You know, what's that thing in America years ago that you say, Uncle Sam wants you? Well, actually, God wants you. I don't want you, but God does. You know, it's amazing to me. (laughs) I remember preaching once in the open air, and a friend of mine was preaching, and, you know, he said to the people, you know, I love you and everything else. And at the end of it, I got up, and I said, well, look, I want to tell you right away, I don't love any of you. And, of course, they were ready to kind of hit me. I said, well, how can I tell you I love you? I don't even know you. But I can honestly tell you this. God loves you. And God died for you. Went on to preach from there. But God starts his program out with this guy named Abram. His name means exalted father. Which is kind of interesting. Because you see he's 84 years old and he doesn't have any kids. And his name really talks about the fact that he's a father over all these kids. And God calls him. And then I want to just pick up the story in, in chapter 15 of Genesis. And uh, what God does here in, in, the, in Genesis 15, He calls him in Genesis 12. He's 75 years old. And He calls him to this land. He says, You come. I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, this land. Anyway, in, in chapter 15, He takes him out and He does something interesting. He shows him all the stars. I mean, there's a lot of stars out there, isn't there? There's like billions of stars. And he says, look at those stars, Abram. Right? Exalted father, look at those stars. And then he says this. He says, you're going to have descendants after you just like those stars out there. Now, I don't know. What would you do in a situation like that? I mean, uh, you're already a grandfather. You're 84. Oh, yeah, I'm going to have all those kids. Yeah, right. Okay. Thank you for that info. Not sure how that'll work. But you know what it says? It says, Abram believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. And you go, wait a minute. In the New Testament, in Romans, when Paul is defending the faith, he explains how a person may be justified before God. In other words, how a person, a sinner who has no place to go to heaven, how can a sinner go to heaven? And Paul puts it this way. He quotes this particular passage. And you see the onus here is what Abram does. He simply believes God. He takes him for what he says. He says he believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. That's all you really have to do is 100% believe God and you can be saved today. And so we see this from him. Now he's 84. And he's still probably wondering at this point, you know, how, how is this going to all work out? Well, two years go by and his wife decides, well, you know what? Uh, I haven't had any children. We've been trying forever to have kids. Can't have any kids. So what I'll do is I'll, uh, I'll take my handmaid and you can have a, a son, you can have children through her. And then uh, this is how, you know, we'll do this, this program. So he does. And so two years later, he's 86 now, he has this son born to him, named Ishmael. And then, from this point, God meets him again. And at this point, um, God says to him, this is now 13 years later, he's 99 years old. And he tells him, he says, uh, Abram. And of course he comes before him and he says, you remember the covenant with you? You shall be a father of many nations. He says, I'm going to actually change your name from exalted, to father, from exalted father to father of a multitude. That's what your name's going to be. Now, again, he's, he's 99 now. I mean, if he had a problem when he was 84, he's probably thinking, I think the problem's increased here, you know. I'm 99. But, you know, he believes God. Well, you know the story, we'll try and zip along here quickly with Abram, who's now Abraham little later on he has children and then his children's children end up with let's go with Jacob and Esau this is way down the road and it's a good picture you see because Abraham's called really the father of faith because he simply believes God and you see these two sons one of them doesn't care for the things of God at all they're both brought up in the same environment one of them he ends up he goes out hunting and he comes back and he's hungry his brothers there. Now he had, because he was the firstborn, he had the rights to be the priest in the family, and he had all the rights to the inheritance of God. Really, that was the picture. And he comes back. He's hungry, and he says to him this: He says, uh, "He says, um, um, well, I'm starving. Can you give me some food?" And his brother looks at him and says, "Well, I'll tell you what. I'll give you some food. I'll give you these bowl of lentils if you sell me your birthright." You give me what is yours, what you deserve, and, uh, and uh, I'll, give you the, I'll give you some soup. And so he goes, well, I'm going to die anyway. Yeah, sure, go ahead. So he despised, it says, his birthright. He didn't care about the things of God. And so Jacob manages to get the birthright. And then you follow Jacob's story. And Jacob, you know, his name means deceiver. That's what he was, really. He deceived his brother. And there's other parts to the story. Some of you will know that. But I just want to pick it up a little later on, <clears throat> you get to uh, to uh, Genesis 32, with the story of him. And at this point, uh, this is way later on in the story, he has children, lots of kids, 12 kids. But he ends up, get this, he ends up in a wrestling match with God. Now I often said this, I probably said this here before. Now... If you were going to pick a winner between God and someone else, who would you pick? <laughs> I think so. But you know what it says? It says that he beat him. You go, what? How could he beat God? Well, that's right. How could he beat God? Because, matter of fact, as they're wrestling along and he's not giving up, he's not giving up. God just touches his hip and that's it. His hip is gone, right? It shrinks. But God says this I'm going to change your name from deceiver. To a prince that prevails with God, Israel. That's where you get the name Israel. And maybe you've wrestled with God. You know, you know what the, re- the revealed will of God is in your life, but you just wrestle with him. You try to struggle with him. Well, let's pick our story up a little later. But it's interesting to me there that he ends up, he wins this battle, as it were. You see, he wants everything that God can have for him. Do you want the things that God wants for you? You know, he desires good for you. We're going to see that. What faith does, faith believes God in spite of circumstances. That's what you're going to see through this story. We have things that come into our lives that get our eyes off of God. And that's what the devil wants to do. He wants your eyes anywhere else but on God. Well, let's pick up our story a little later on. We want to get to Exodus 15. And of course, there's lots in here. We won't really talk too much about it, but we looked at this even this morning. We talked a little bit uh, back in Exodus 12 about the Passover. You remember God calls Moses in chapter 3, and he says, I want you to go down there, and I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And he goes on, he promises him this. He says, um, this is the promise. He's reiterating what he's already told to Abram. He says, uh, "And I have said, I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey." Now, just I guess to give us a little more of the story, if you're not following here, is one of his sons. You remember uh, Joseph was sold by his brothers and ends up down in Egypt. Then through a, a number of years and problems. The family ends up coming down through famine. They get reunited, and the children of Israel live not in Egypt, but right beside it. While well, a new Pharaoh and so on grows, it's now, f- and they're underneath bondage now because they decide to take them over. And so they've been slaves now for a period of 400 years as slaves. And here God sends in Moses. And of course, most of you, I'm sure, are familiar with the story of Moses. How his mother saw him, his good child, put him out in the, in the river there, in the little, in the little um, bulrushes, in, in a, a little uh, basket, I guess it was, we often call it the Moses basket, pitch around it so that the uh, Pharaoh's daughter would see the baby and take it home and so on. And then he was brought up in the king's household, as it were. But eventually his own mother was caring for him and looking after him. He goes to this faraway land and then God calls him out of that to that story. Sorry I'm giving you all this, but I feel it's need, needful. And then he says, go and tell to let my people go. And so, and he says, well he's not going to let him go. And he says, that's right, he won't. But I'll kind of persuade him. And so you remember, now he has all these 10 plagues that come on Egypt. All these different things. And the final plague was this angel of death. And here was the picture, right? This angel of death was going to come on. Now they saw all these other miracles before this. There was provision made for anyone who wanted it. That's really the picture, even for those of Egypt, okay? And it says that what's going to happen now is the angel of death is going to come through the land, is going to kill the firstborn in every household where the lamb, the blood of the lamb is not on the doorposts. They told them this is what you need to do, take a little lamb, innocent, did nothing wrong. Make sure it's got no blemish, no spot. Kill the lamb, and I want you to apply the blood to the doorpost. You say, "Man, it seems like it's kind of gory, isn't it?" It, it is, because it's a picture of an innocent victim suffering, so the other, the the uh, guilty party can really go free. And I'll tell you what: if you were the firstborn in your family, you'd be saying, "Dad, I hope you got this right, right? Get the blood on there properly. You know, make sure you have it all done." And you know, I, as you look at the story and you, and you see what's happening. Uh, throughout Egypt and of course the angel of death comes through and kills the firstborn in every household where the blood wasn't applied. And I remember saying to some young people, I said, what saved them? Oh, they were very spiritual. I said, no, it wasn't because they were spiritual. What saved them? Oh, well, they did what they were told. I said, well, that's kind of true. But I said, actually, what was it that saved them? I said, it was the blood. You see, the blood was applied. And it was a picture that that blood was applied so that they could go free. They were safe. And it actually says that there was a mixed multitude that went with them. So the provision was for anyone who did what God said, right? And they go out. Now you're seeing all this. Imagine if you're part of this children of Israel. Because this is the background before we get to this. And they go down there. And of course, you know, at this point, Pharaoh and is and, and says, get them out of here. Get them out of my sight. I don't want anything to do with them. They gave them money. They gave them provision. They say, get lost. Get out. And so they go down and then they have a change of heart. They go, you know what? We gave them all our money. Yeah, let's go back and get our stuff. And so they're coming after them. Now they see Pharaoh's army coming. They get down to the Red Sea and they're, you, you can imagine, you've been a slave for years. You're in panic mode. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And Moses says, stand back and see the salvation of God. And they got to see this. They got to, after all those other miracles, now they get to see God parting this Red Sea. And they walk across on dry land. Of course, they, they get this, right? They see it all. And then, of course, God uh, kills Pharaoh, all his army, drowns them all in the Red Sea. Some have said, well, that time of year, you know, the, the sea actually, you know, they do all these calculations. They say it was actually low to the ground. There wasn't much water there. I said, well, how do you drown all those people then if there's no water? Oh, yeah, well, that's another problem, you know? But, you know, they go across, and at the end of this, this is where I want to pick up the story, they sing a song to God. This is found here, if I can find it Exodus 15. Exodus 15 they said this is the song of triumph then saying Moses and the children of Israel this song to the Lord and spoke saying I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously the horse and his rider he's thrown in the sea and he goes on to talk about what God is like and all the people there are saying what God is like and it says this in verse 5 the depths have covered them they sank into the bottom as a stone your right hand O Lord is become glorious in power your right hand o lord has dashed in pieces the enemy and in the greatness of your excellency you have overthrown them that rose up against you you sent forth and it goes on and on like this praising god and all the work that god did in other words they were just there oh yeah look at him work look at look at what he's doing he's doing everything nothing for them to do you see and it goes right down to verse 16. It says, fear and dread shall fall upon them. This is speaking about uh, the chiefs of Edom, mighty men of Moab, and the inhabitants, all the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away. So they're talking about this provision that God made way back when you go into land. All these guys, are going to just fall, fall to the ground from the presence of God, which is true. And he says, fear and dread shall come upon them by the greatness of your arm they shall be as still as a stone till your people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over which you have purchased. Well, that sounds good. But the very next chapter, the very next chapter, they start to look around rather than at God. You know, this is what happens in our lives. You know, this is why, well, we see in the the next chapter what happens. Right away in, in Exodus 16, they're hungry. We've got no food. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? you ever do that in your life? God does some miracle in your life. You see it. You know it's God. And all of a sudden, it happens to you again. I mean, I've been there. You know, God has provided this, this, and this. And all of a sudden, oh, oh I'm not sure. What are we going to do? I, well, didn't he provide last week? Well, yeah. What do you think? He's on vacation or what? You know, oh. And this is the way we are, you see, because we look at our circumstances, the things in life, we get our eyes off of him. And this is exactly what happens to them. So they start crying out, we got no food, we're going to die out here. What are we going to do? Well, God says this, I'll tell you what, I'll send you manna from heaven, bread from heaven for you. And he gives them instructions. He says, okay, I'll tell you what you do, you gather as much as you want. You know, some of us, maybe like me, you like to eat lots. So he says, hey, you take as much as you want. Take as much as you want go ahead fill your gut. but he says don't take any for tomorrow because you see that's a lack of faith realizing that I won't provide tomorrow you see and so they did except some of them said well you know what just in case <laughs> and they said actually the next day when they went to take it it was full of worms they couldn't eat it but then God said look just so you understand it's still a miracle for me You gather for six days, and on the seventh day, the Sabbath, Saturday, I'll give you, you'll you'll have double from the night before. And so they got to see that, you know what, God's provision. He provides. Well, you know what, it carries them for a little while, but before you know it, they're murmuring again. You get to the next chapter, and what happens here? Chapter uh, 17. Now, all this while, for 40 years, he's feeding the manna in the wilderness. 40 years they're getting fed. But in the next chapter, you see that they start to, uh, to groan. And it's interesting when you look at this in verse 7, it says, And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah. which just means temptation or testing, contention, strife from the people against Moses and against God. And it's just so sad. Because why? Well, they want water. And so Moses, he says, You take your, the rod that you parted that and strike the rock and water will come forth and then he tells him this in verse 9 which I always thought was interesting Moses says to Joshua okay I want you to choose out men I want you to go down and fight against Amalek this enemy here in verse 9 and he says uh, Moses says I'll go up on the mountain I'll be up there praying for you now I'm not sure about you but it was me I'd be going like look do we got the program right you want me down there and you up there Like, maybe you come and help me you know But you see, what what is God trying to reveal? He's trying to reveal the idea of faith. I mean, what could Moses do? He could just count on God. Well, just, right? And so actually, he illustrates it that way. Moses holds up his hands, and guess what? They're winning the battle. Oh, they're getting tired. Oh, they're losing, they're losing. You know, everybody else, whoa, whoa, get his arms up there, man. Wouldn't you do that? And so what are they able to see? They're able to see God providing. God winning the victory in their life. Well, you would think at the end of that, that would be enough to carry them. Sadly enough, it doesn't. You know what's interesting at the end of that? In verse 14, this is what God says of chapter 17. The Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. Because he knew Joshua was going to be chosen, right? He was going to be the leader. When Moses wasn't going to go in the land, Joshua was going to be the leader. He says, For I will utterly put out a remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Now, the question that I would just ask is why did he want him to have a memorial there? You guys have Veterans Day. Is it wasn't Veterans Day? Why? Uh, all at once. <laughs> to remember, right? Why do you have the Lord's day? You have, sorry, to uh, a remembrance time. We often say it's the worship time. It's not. It's actually a remembrance. Why? To remember. You see, he wants us to look to him. That's what he wants from our lives. He can do all things. You can actually do nothing of value. You know that? But he can do all things, even use you. It's amazing. And so we see this remembrance here. And it was interesting, as Brother Ron there shared this morning, he was uh, quoting to us from, uh, where is it, Ephesians 2. I'm just going to quote one verse there. Because he says this, Wherefore remember that you, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, Um, and then it goes on to say this, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called a circumcision, in the flesh made my hands. The idea here is, you were once far off. That that was my position, I'm not sure about yours, but I was on my way to hell. I deserved to go to hell because I had broken God's law. And he says to me, he says this idea here, you're uncirc- you're good for nothing, but, but, the goodness of God is this, and it goes on to say this in the next verse, two verses down, but now in Christ Jesus, You who were sometimes far off are made near by the blood of Christ. You see, that blood, even back there we saw the Lamb of God, it was applied for me. I took that for myself. Great, thank you, Lord. Have you done that? All right, let's look at our story. Numbers 13. When you start to read this account, you see the very beginning of Numbers 13. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send you out men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give to the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their father shall you send a man, every one a ruler among them. Well, my first thought when I look at this, and if I'm reading it here, I'm going, oh, that must be the will of God, right? I mean, he is telling them to go, isn't he? That's what it says. And you say, well, wait a minute. Didn't God already, we've already read some, that he promised them all this stuff. Isn't that now a lack of faith? The fact that they're going to send spies? Yeah. So it's not the will of God. Turn turn to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 1. You see, we're we're not getting the whole picture here. Deuteronomy 1. You see, God, all he's doing here is giving them what they want to do. You see that picture a little later on, you remember where the children of Israel now, they look around, they see everybody, and everybody has a king, someone to fight for them. And so they go to God, hey, uh, well actually Samuel, who's the prophet of God, and they say, Samuel, hey, look, we need a king. Samuel goes, what do you mean you need a king? God's your king, he's over you. No, we need a king. Samuel says this, he says, look, if you have a king, he's going to do this to you, do this, do this. And he goes on, he gives him this whole list of bad things that are going to happen to them. This is uh, from 1 Samuel 9, I think it is. And so he goes on, he tells him this whole list. And, and, and you know what they say? Now we want a king. And so now you just think of Samuel there, and what it would be like for him. He goes before God, and now he's got to relay the message to God. And he says this to God. He rehearsed all, uh, so he says, he heard all the words of the people and he rehearsed them in the ears of the Lord. I can imagine he's like this, Lord, you know what those rotters want? You know what they want? They want you to make a king over them. Rather than have you lead them, they want a king. Strike them down, God. I'm, I'm feeding into the passage here, but I can imagine he was just filled with anger as they would even think to do this. You know what God says? Give him a king. Give him a king. You know, God is so gracious, so loving, so caring. Even though it's going to go against them, he allows him to do this. Is it his will? It's not his, uh, it's his permissive will. But it's not his preferred will. He doesn't want to do that. And that's what we get when we look at this story here. Because in Deuteronomy 1, this is what he says. Moses is recounting. It says, when we departed from Horeb, we went through all the great and terrible wilderness which you saw in the way of the mountains of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us, and we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said to you, you are come to the mountain of the Amorites, which the Lord our God has given to us. And so what's it say there? God promises it to them. Again, it's being reiterated. And he says this, Behold, behold the Lord your God has set before you the land before you. Go up and possess it, as the Lord God of your fathers has said to you. Fear not, neither be discouraged. Now, verse 22 tells you their response. See, this is their heart. They say this, And you came near to me, every one of you, not some, but all of them, and said, We will send out men before us. They'll search out the land and bring us word again, by which way we should go up, and into which cities we shall go. And the saying, it says, Please me well, and I took twelve of you, one out of every tribe. You see, the problem here is, They have no faith now. They're walking by sight, not by faith. You see, what does faith do? Faith believes God. It's just recounted to us what God has done. But I'm telling you, we're a lot like this. And you see, we're told that, aren't we? I said, you know what? When you hear these stories, realize this, that um, God has them for a reason. To show you examples for you and for me. Because we can actually, we, we actually do that sometimes, you know. We get our eyes off of him. We start looking at the trouble. Oh, uh, you know, I've got to come in for a review before my boss. Oh, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? What's he going to do? You know, we hear about something else. We go down and <coughs> I've got a little problem here. Oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? You don't think God knows about it? He's right there with you. But yet, when it becomes a reality to us, We give way to faith and we get our eyes off of it onto our circumstances. It happens all the time. But it's great to see this story where we're going to see, well, four men, but two really that stand above that and keep their eyes on the Lord. Okay, well, let's pick up our story then in Numbers 13. But just to give you that background, and again, in Deuteronomy 9, it goes on, he describes what it's like. This land is beautiful. It's got this, and it's got this, and it's got this, and God's given it all to you. That's the promise from God. So in Numbers 13, they decide not to do this. And it's interesting, even the very names of some of these men, you know what their names mean? He redeems. Salvation. Um, Another one is, God is my fortune. My kinsman is God. These are the names of the people that are, that are going to go into the land. You see, they had forgotten completely about God. Anyway, they go in there. You know the story. Spies are chosen. Each one a leader. You know, really here it's the cream of the crop or the best of the lot. And they're taking one from each land. <clears throat> Sorry, one from each tribe to go into the land. Now verses 18 to 20. Uh, Moses gives the instruction he says see the land what it is the people that dwell in there and he goes on to say you know whether it's good or bad and uh, verse 20 it says whether there be wood therein whether it be of good courage and so on and bring uh, and bring of the fruit of the land and it says now the time was of uh, the first ripe grapes verse 20 and so they go now it's interesting they go down there for 40 days Now, you know, there's never a thought in here, too. They're 40 days in there, and they don't get discovered, or if they do, nothing happens to them. We don't hear anything about that, right? And yet they go down in there, and they return. And let's just pick up, well, verse 23, it says they came to the brook of Eshkol. That just means cluster. That's what they called it, because, you know, there they got some grapes. I don't know if you've ever harvested grapes. Grapes. I mean, sometimes you can get a nice big clump of grapes. But I've never seen grapes where it needs two of you on a pole to carry a cluster. But that's what they had to do. That's how great it was. And the idea here is God has already provided it. You see that again. Remember with Joshua a little later on. You know, God's provision. I promise to give it to you. Anyway, as as, uh, they go along here, they come back. And verse 27, they start to give an account okay tell me all about it and they told him they said we came to the land where he sent us and surely it flows with milk and honey and this is the fruit of it yeah check these grapes out like yeah This, this is this is the land which is true but then what do they say right afterwards now we see the flesh coming in and moreover though we saw the children of Anak there those are giants right big people And it says this, And the Amalekites dwell in the land in the south. The Hittites and the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. They already knew all this. You see, when they had faith going for them, they knew there was no problem. Well, someone stands out here, of course, Caleb. What does he say? You see, he just sees God. That's all he sees. He doesn't see the problem. He sees God. And he says this to him. He's still the people. He said, basically, shut up, you guys, shut up. Hold on a minute. Don't you see God? We're well able to take it. I mean, later on, what's he saying? Give me that mountain. This guy's 80 years old. I mean, come on, grandpa, you know. But he says, give me that mountain. I want it. The hardest one, give it to me. You see, because he knows that with God, all things are possible. That's what faith does, it takes God at what he says. And so he sits there and he says, we're well able to overcome it. We're well able. You know, we won't even break a sweat. That's the idea here. But what happens? It says the men that went up with him said, look, we're not able. What are you crazy? There's giants there. Didn't you look? They're stronger than us. Well, how do they know they're stronger? They never fought them. And so it says this, verse 32, they brought up an evil report of the land which they searched to the children of Israel saying the land through which we have gone up to search it out it's a land that eats up the inhabitants thereof now where's the proof of that anywhere they didn't hear about anybody dying but of course that's what they said and it says and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature and there's there's giants like we're like grasshoppers like we're just like a grasshopper well hold on a second do you mean, like, like, is God a grasshopper? I guess he's a grasshopper too, right? Like, are, 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 they, are you guys like grasshoppers like you were when you battled against Pharaoh? That kind of grasshopper? I mean, isn't it the same God? Oh, we can't see it. Same, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's the God we're talking about. He didn't change. They've changed. Why? They're looking at their circumstances. They're looking at the trouble rather than on him. And so this is what happens. So it goes on from there. Chapter 14. You see, it's, it's really sad when you think about it. They have all these warnings. They even get the partly a good report here, but, you know, they're caught up in unbelief. That's what sends people to hell, unbelief. They simply don't believe God. And here in in chapter 14, it says, All the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. Well, that, that actually sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Well, unless we know what they're crying about. What are they crying about? Oh, poor me. Look at what's happening to us. God is beating us up. He's doing all this stuff to us. I mean, he's not thought about us at all, and he—he doesn't—he doesn't doesn't love us anymore, and he—he's hating us. He's—you know—they start doing the blame game. You ever see that in families? I didn't do it, Billy did it. No, he didn't do it, she did it. And then you you get—you know—the husband blaming the wife, and the wife blaming the husband, and goes like this all the time. It's, It's just filled with unbelief. Their 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 eyes are not on God, and so what do they do? They start murmuring against God and his people. Even to the point where they go in verse 3. It says, wherefore has the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword? In other words, he's brought us here on purpose to kill us off. Isn't that sad? The same God that delivered them. It's amazing he doesn't strike them dead right there, you know. But, you know, our God's not like that. He's not like you or me. I mean, if it's you or me, well, maybe I could speak for me. I would have wiped them out long before this. But you know what he does? They go on. They say this. He says, He's brought us out here to fall by the swords. Our wives and our children are going to be a prey. They're going to be captured and taken. This is what you're doing. You're delivering our kids to get killed. It's so sad. Well, within this, what do we say? You know, in, in the other words, they say here, You know, God, you won't protect them either. You're going to let all this happen. Uh, verse 7 of chapter 14, it says, And they spoke all the company of the children of Israel, saying, This is now Joshua, Moses, and Aaron, because you know what they did? They got on their face before God. They said, well, only God can fix this problem. (laughs) You know, there's no problem God can't fix. So they get on their face before God and uh, Joshua, Caleb, and it says they tore their clothes. The idea here is they're making this commitment to God. They're, you know, uh, showing that they're sincere to God and in this and they come to the uh, the company of the children of Israel and they say this look the land we went which we passed through its exceedingly great land we've already had the reports and then they said this if the Lord delights in us he's gonna give it to us he's already promises let's act on his promise that's what they're saying he says he will bring us into this land and give it to us a land which flows with milk and honey and, and then he goes on to, uh, to say, only rebel not you against the Lord, neither fear you, the people of the land. They're like bread for us. Man, there's no defense in them because God is with us. Right? What do you think they do? Well, it tells us. It says the congregation bid, kill them. Let's kill them. I mean, isn't that sad? I mean, does that ever happen to you? You know, you're sharing your faith with someone. And you're trying to tell them the goodness of God, how good he is. And, and, you know, really, they want to kill you. You know, my wife the other day was uh, in the gym. And uh, I think they had, what was it, Touched by an Angel or whatever, was a TV show. Anyway, that's on there, and she's watching A guy comes in, and, you know, on the show, she said something about God, and then God, and the guy's like, oh, God. You know, and he looks at my wife like, oh. Like, you know, and, of course, she's just looking at it, trying to, trying to do her bit, you know, and he's just so upset that this program is talking about God, of all things, the one that gives him his very breath. he finally, and he realizes, well, she's not really with me, so he leaves. He goes to the other side of the gym and does his thing there. You know, Tony and I were out uh, playing flog. That's sort of golf, but when you don't know how. And uh, so we were out there. And one of the guys who was with us, like we tried to share the Lord with him. You know he said? I don't want anything to do with religion. Nope, don't talk about religion. He said, we we don't have religion. We want to talk to you about about a relationship with the Creator. I don't want nothing to do with that. Shut us off like three times. eh? That was it. You know why? Because they hate God. Just like this, this story. And it says this. And when they did this, it says the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle around them. It was like, whoa, guys, you said the wrong thing here. And and it says this, look at verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, he says, how long will it be, well, sorry, how long will it before they believe me for all the signs which I have showed them? And now, so they're ready to kill, or sorry, they're ready to kill Joshua and Caleb, Moses and Aaron, okay? And only the prevention of God here. And then God says this. and this is interesting because we want to... You I know I'm already over. But uh, he says this as he, as he goes through it. God says, look, Moses, I'll tell you what. Let's get rid of these guys. They're a bunch of rotters anyway, right? I, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you the greatest leader ever. I'm going to set you... I'm going to have a... Congr- you know what? Okay, let's call it, uh, you know... You're going to be, uh, well, let's see. Let's, let's call it a football team. You're going to be the quarterback uh, of the greatest team ever. You'll be the coach too. This is what he's saying to him. okay? He says, I, I want to do this for you. We'll get rid of them. We'll start again. Probably you'd like to see that with the Miami Dolphins maybe, you know. But he says, this is what we're going to do. We'll give you a brand new team, Moses, the best of the best, and they're all going to look to you. You know what Moses does? Well, Moses is called the meekest man on the earth. You know that? There's a reason for that. Moses starts to plead on their behalf. And you know how he does? First of all, he's thinking of the glory of God. He's consumed with the glory of God. Well, no, no, wait. They may say bad things about you. This is how he presents it, right? He goes on and he starts to, uh, to say these different things, right, about who God is. And he says, now if you shall kill all this people as one man, verse 15, then the nations which have heard the fame of you will say and bring these accusations. And then he goes on and he reminds us about God. You know, sometimes people say, well, the God of the Old Testament, oh, he's a, he's a terrible God. I say, you better read it again. <laughs> because he's a long suffering. He's not willing that any should perish. He goes on and on to show his character in many books of the Old Testament. Even in here, he says, The Lord is long suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, by no means clearing the guilty. Verse 18. And then he says in verse 19, Pardon. He says, I beg you the iniquity of this people. I know they're rotten, but please, Lord, don't. You know, another portion, he says, Write me out of your book then, if you're going to do that. What a man of God. And so what happens here? The Lord says this. The Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. He listens. He hearkens to Moses. And then he says this. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Isn't that great to know that promise? You know, we were reminded. I think Tony mentioned this uh, on Wednesday night. You know, the Lord, we're told in, uh, what is it? John 14 verse 3, he says, and if I go, right, did he go? Oh, he did go. I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where you am, there you may be also. What a promise, right? You know, I wrote uh, in my Bible, that's a fact. He's coming back, maybe 2004, maybe today. Wouldn't that be great? Are you ready for him to come back? He's going to come back. Could be today. Could not be for a long time. We don't know. But are you ready? You know, um, I often think of this verse, you know, it says this in, where is it, Uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. It says to examine yourself of whether you're in the faith. Examine yourself. So that's something you've got to do. No one can do it for you. You've got to do it. You see, there's many people I've talked to, they've brought up in a Christian home. They go to the Christian meeting. They go to things like this all the time. But they're not Christian. I was telling Tony, I was in Northern Ireland, and, uh, you know, I, I, actually, this is the first time I've worn a suit in a long, long time. But I was up in Northern Ireland, and I was wearing my usual, which is, you know, uh, just a t-shirt or whatever it was. And I went to this gospel meeting, and there was 150 people at this gospel meeting. And everybody had on this, except they had a white shirt, you know, they looked, they looked really good. Except for me, the sinner, sitting there with my t-shirt on or whatever, I thought, well, whatever, and, you know, the guy was kind of preaching at me the whole time. You know, I thought, well, that's okay. I need lots of people preaching for me anyway. But at the end of it, I had been talking to this guy beside me. And he was wearing a better suit than mine here. And he had the white uh, shirt on. He had it all. He was as lost as lost could be. And I was talking to him about his soul. And I said, well, brother, or like, or, I can't, can't even call you brother. And he said, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, you're not saved. If you died right now, you'd go to hell. Don't you realize that? He says, yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good though. I go, I say, yeah, I know you look the part, but you're not the part, right? God sees the heart. It's a heart issue. And that's why he challenges us. Examine yourself to whether you're in the faith. Know you not that Jesus Christ is in you. You know, and that King James says, if you be reprobate, the idea is you're disqualified. You don't make the grade. There's none righteous. No, not that would include you, wouldn't it? But you know the good news, you can get right with them even today. And maybe you're saying, well, I, I am, I, I, I know I, I'm right with God and so on. And, you know, I'm not too sure about all this stuff about faith. But, you know, we often walk in unbelief in our own lives, don't we? I mean, just think of it. I mean, here, here's an example. You walk around the house, or if, you're, if you've ever done this, I know I've done it several times. I lose the keys. Of course, I've got a meeting to go to. Ten minutes ago, I run around like a chicken with his head cut off. Oh, the keys oh, they are over there. What do you do with them? Start playing the blame game, you know. Where are they? Where are they? And finally, it's like, oh, yeah, pray. Oh, Lord, yeah. oh, there they are. Okay, you know. You ever do that? We do all kinds of things like that. Let's just close in prayer. Lord, um, we want to thank you for your word. Lord, you know, we think of the story of even uh, King David when he went to fight. (laughs) Lord, he had no doubt that you were going to deliver him. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he could defy the living God? Just knew it. Because he had the eyes of faith. We think of even Peter as he walked on water. No one else could walk on water. But his eyes were on you, he had no problem. Help us to keep our eyes on you, Lord, in our lives. And just pray for each one here. And Lord, maybe there's someone here that doesn't know you. Oh, Lord, speak to their heart. Help them to understand that you're desiring a relationship with them. And that they, too, could be saved for all eternity. So we just commit it to you in Jesus' name.